Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Good to have you here. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman, and you are listening to the Free Trail Podcast, where today we are joined by Hannes Nomberger. Hannes may be a newer name to some of you, but this guy had an absolutely stellar 2021 season with world-class performances at some of the most important races on the European circuit. And I've wanted to talk to him ever since. And from what I've heard, this German athlete, Hannes, takes the sport super seriously. He's got a very professional approach and has a ton of potential to be a force on the scene, on the international level for years to come. Hannes first landed on my radar when he won and set the course record at the Lavaredo Ultra Trail in Italy last June. Again, one of the most important, biggest races on the European circuit. He then went on to finish sixth at UTMB, his first 100 mile race, a very solid, respectable debut, and then closed his year with a dominant win at the Madeira Island Ultra in November. Again, one of Europe's biggest, most important races and Hannes won by 40 minutes. We talk about Hannes's background as a professional skier in this conversation. We talk about how injury took him out of that sport and introduced him to trail running. We talked about his 21 season and all those races I just mentioned and what he has planned ahead for 2022. And also for those who watched UTMB last year, watched the live stream that is, you might remember that Hannes finished just ahead of the great American Courtney DeWalter and shared some time with her as she was on her way to her mind-blowing course record performance last August. And Hannes provides a very entertaining description of what it was like to share those miles with Courtney and how she inspired him on his way to a very solid sixth place in his 100-mile debut on the world's biggest stage. It's hilarious and definitely the highlight of the conversation today. It was great to get to know Hannes. I'm really looking forward to following this guy in his career over the next few years. Hope you guys enjoyed the discussion. As usual, Free Trail is grateful to our presenting sponsor, Speedland. As I mentioned last week, Speedland just launched their second shoe, the SLHSV. They launched it last week to much fanfare. The shoe is absolutely fire. Some changes from the SLPDX include an upgraded Carbotex plate, a stickier rubber compound on the outsole, aluminum boa dials that are super cool, and integrated gator attachments, and much more. I'm usually not one for black shoes, but these are the exception. They are so rad. And I would certainly recommend you check them out at runspeedland.com. Pre-orders are open now with delivery plan for early May. We have other insanely cool things in the works with the guys at Speedland that I'm really excited to announce soon. And we are so grateful for their support of the show. So please do throw your support behind them. It makes a big difference to what we do here. As always, super appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Hannes Namberger. We'll see you in the outro. Hannes Namberger, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to see you. Thanks, Dylan. Nice to see you too. Hello. Yeah, yeah I'm uh, very excited to chat. I have only been following you for a short time, but 
you had an incredible 2022 season and many people who I've spoken to, especially on the European circuit, believe that that's just the beginning for you, that you are going to be a dominant force on the scene for years to come. So no pressure, but welcome to the show. It's great. Uh, I wanted to start by, uh, you know, just letting you introduce yourself to the audience. Obviously, you might be a newer name, especially to American listeners, but you're a German athlete, so maybe start with, uh, yeah, where you're broadcasting from and tell people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, hello, um, Hannes Namberger, I'm 32 years old and I'm from Germany, from the south part. So I live direct in the beginning of the Alps, so close to Austria. Um, yeah, my beginning, um, with, yeah, I, I Begun sport um, as a small child with alpine skiing. It was it was always a dream for me to be a professional skier, like uh, for example Ted, Lig- Ted Ligeti. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, I um, quit my career with uh, 21 years, and that was a hard decision for me. But uh, I found uh, the love in, in trail running with 27 years roundabout yeah and then um this love is um yeah it was a big love between mountain and running and yeah now i'm i'm here on and yeah you're here man you have announced your presence in the trail and ultra world especially this season and i want to talk about your ski career because i think it's interesting but first just to get a better idea of where you're where you're from, you said the south of Germany. Does that mean you're close to Garmisch and the Zugspitz? No, it's um, close to Salzburg. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, Such a beautiful it, area. Perfect, yeah. The closest um, trail running event is um, the Mozart 100. Such a beautiful place. My, my wife and I actually went to Bavaria, you know, that region. Yeah for the Zugspitz Ultra Trail a couple of years ago in 2019. And we were blown away. I mean, the town of Garmisch was beyond our expectations just in terms of how beautiful it was, the trail access, the race itself was incredible, even though it was shortened that year due to weather. But we spent some time, you know, sort of in Austria and Innsbruck, went to Vienna, and it's such a beautiful area. So I just wanted to paint the picture for our audience about, because when you when most people think about Germany, they don't necessarily think about, you know, the Bavarian Alps, but it seems like a perfect place, especially as somebody who started his athletic career as a downhill skier and is now a mountain runner. It's sort of a mountain paradise, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's perfect for all sports. Um, you can uh, go skiing in the winter, you can go biking. You can have really difficult mountains. You can have the easier one. And the mix between all these sports is, is perfect for everybody. If you start with trail running, you have um, smooth, easy gravel roads, or you can have really technical sky running parts. So <laughs> what you want, you will find it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would encourage our listeners to check it out and especially that Zugspitz Ultra Trail. I don't know if you've done it and the the Mozart, I actually ran on the Mozart course when we were there just 
in a little bit of training. And it's just so beautiful. It's such a beautiful place. So I would encourage our listeners to check those out. The Mozart race now is on the UTMB World Series. And I know Zugspitz is one of the most important races for the German trail running community. But let's talk about ski racing because uh, I think this is a really fascinating part of your story and something I resonate with as somebody who came into the sport of running later in life, who was interested in other sports growing up. Talk about your experience as a downhill ski racer. Obviously there's a lot of different disciplines within ski racing. So where did you specialize? My discipline was slalom and giant slalom. So the technical parts of skiing, um, downhill skiing only for the training. Um, yeah, I was a good skier until 19 years old. I was in the national team of Germany. Um, I was, yeah, I would say I, my goal was always to be in the World Cup. It was always the big dream to, to ski with the best skier in the world. But then... I had a bad injury with my knee and two operations. And then everybody knows, yeah, it's difficult to come back because you have, if you want to come back and you have to be better than the years before. And for me, it was impossible. The, I was not skiing over one year and then I tried it, but yeah, I have, I, I have to say, yeah, my my um, performance is not not as as before the operation. Then uh, yeah, it was a difficult decision. It was very hard for me. Was it you, was it a physical thing? Because I know with ski racing and the crashing, you have to have confidence in your body, and especially you have to have confidence at those high speeds that yeah. you're not going to fall effectively because those falls can have just massive physical consequences. Was it, was it a physical insufficiency that you perceived in your knee or was it a, a mental thing in your confidence? Yeah. Um, it was more physical because, um, my stronger leg was after the injury, the right one. And then you always have to be very careful with your injured knee and, it's not possible. Yeah. You have to make every turn um, with the highest quality, especially if if you ski on ice. <laughs> then you have you need strong legs. You have you need a, a body what is really well prepared for for the hard conditions. And yeah, then it was the end for me. Yeah, yeah. was I had it always pain? <laughs> so was it well? Was it a painful thing emotionally, spiritually? As somebody who had the dreams of competing on the World Cup, you were probably inspired by. Wasn't Herman Meyer the iconic uh, German <laughs> skier? No, Herman Meyer is Austrian. He's Austrian. Uh, excuse He's Austrian. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, it, it was very difficult because it was not my decision. Yeah. You have no. Um, no, um, how should I say that the, the national team said, okay, you're not in the team. You, if you want to, um, ski again, then you have to do it on your own way. And without a team in alpine skiing, it's very difficult. It's very expensive. And then I, I have to say, no, that's, that's impossible for me, mm -hmm. but it was, um, after a half year, it was also, okay. Um, I find I found a new way in uh, backcountry skiing. 
and jumping, go in the park, um, only having fun on skis. That yeah. was the new way for me after alpine skiing. Yeah. yeah. So, so you do a bit of terrain park, like aerial stuff now too. And now not, not because, so much now. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, now it's, it, it's too risky for me. Yeah. Ventures. But after this, yeah, I learned how to do backflip, how to make cool um, 360s, especially for the backcountry skiing. And yeah, it was really cool. I, I went with friends to Japan for, for cool ski trips, to Switzerland, to Italy. Um, I had fun. Also, uh, um, how should I say, with, with parties and I, I did <laughs> that's, all these things. That's an intimate part of the ski culture is the parties. Yeah, yeah. I had to, do, or I did everything what I cannot do uh, if you are a professional. Yeah, yeah. Do you still feel the effects of the ski injuries? I know I just mentioned that obviously those falls and the ski injuries can have just massive physical consequences. I actually know... Alex McGinnis, who was on the U.S. ski mountaineering, or I'm sorry, uh, downhill skiing team, multi-time Olympian, and she had a couple of crashes that had 18-month recovery periods, and you know, then she's healthy for like nine months, and then is out for another 18, and it just feels like, aside from the physical component, that mentally it's incredibly exhausting. Her husband actually is a friend of mine too. He had compartment syndrome as a ski racer. He has a scar from his hip to his knee. And it's just like, I, the, I feel like your body only holds up for so long in that sport. Do you, do you feel the effects of your knee injury anymore? Or now that you've sort of changed the direction of your skiing life and, and also become a great runner, is your knee as strong as ever now? Now I have no pain on this knee. I know only that um, I had the operation, but I, I forgot this part, what what happened, or I forgot um, the the pain what I had, and I canceled it completely. Mm -hmm. And then the good thing is that I I found the love in, in running and to be in the mountains, not only on with chairlifts. So um, I found to be in the mountains um yeah only for me um and then yeah it helped me a lot to to forget this this painful days or these painful years good good because with this with this knee and with these knee injuries i couldn't uh walk the stairs it was so painful mm. uh, i couldn't sleep in the night yeah and you think every second on this pain and yeah the the love to the mountains and to the new sport and yeah it, it helped me a lot yeah well not that any injury is insignificant but you know for runners you know, you have like a strained calf or a little bit of tendonitis it's totally different from multiple knee surgeries and broken femurs and things like that that ski racers have to deal with so I think you found a great sport for yourself um, I'm curious as you talk about training how that part of your life as an aspiring sort of professional downhill skier has influenced your training now aside from you know teaching you the discipline of hard work 
Is there anything else that you apply to your running now that's carried over from your ski career? Um, the, the, the disciplines where I trained as a skier helped me a lot, especially the balance, the coordination, um, the power in my legs, and especially um, to run downhills if it's very technical. To see every stone, um, to be in balance, and I had um, as a skier very um, good um, upper body. So this part helped me so much um, until now. I don't have to make um, um, uh, um, strain. Uh, yes, um, str- how should I say for for the upper body. Um, power workouts so. you, you don't have to lift weights for your upper body yeah. that's what you're saying yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and and especially the in, in skiing you have only 45 um, 60 seconds to perform and on this second on, on on this on your race you have to be very concentrated concentrated you have to be focused and then if you go out of of the start gate then you have to be aggressive. You have to be focused, concentrated, and then you must perform. And you have only this one chance. And this helped me a lot for trail running. Wow. Wow. Interesting. So it's more of a psychological advantage maybe that it's provided in your trail running career. But I love that idea of the yeah, focus and concentration, but also the skill on the downhill and everybody knows like in skiing, you have to keep your weight downhill and you have to use your eyes in order to really guide your turns and use your instincts a little bit more. And it's kind of true also with descending in trail running and navigating technical descents. So yeah, exactly. The downhills mm -hmm. to run downhills, if it's technical, then, uh, Skiing is not the same, but it's similar. So, yeah, and this helped me a lot. But um, yeah, um, uh, to run is is the most extreme, different sport to to skiing. But because especially the weight, what I had as a skier, it was twenty k more than now. And oh, you were you were much heavier as a skier. Yeah, much yeah. heavier. Yeah. So. It was a lot, a lot of muscles and yeah, <laughs> for me, it was not possible to run as a skier because the, the legs, they are, they were too thick. Really? Yeah. Wow. Really? So yeah. your, your whole body has changed in addition yeah. to the competitive context. So interesting. And obviously, you know, for those of us who follow you on Instagram now, it's clear that you still spend a lot of time on skis. You mentioned that earlier that you sort of found backcountry skiing and, uh, playing around in the terrain park after you gave up on the downhill skiing career. But now it seems like you spend all of your summer months training as a ski mountaineering athlete. And we've had sort of a running conversation on the show this winter with people talking about how valuable that is for trail running. Uh, so maybe provide your content or your, your perspective on ski mountaineering and how it's helped you to enhance your capabilities as a trail runner. Yes. Ski mountaineering, um, helped me not really. It's, it's, it's a different sport. It's only for a ski mountaineer. I can 
I can ski faster in the downhill. Yeah. But um, schema is perfect for me to to save my to save my knees to save my my whole body that I don't have to run the whole year. Mm-hmm. That's that's all. And I like it to be on the skis on alpine skis and on ski mountaineering skis. So to 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 train on the uphills. Um, it's like Francois said in, in the podcast before, um, he don't want to run the whole year and that's the same for me. And in the winter we, or I have no, no chance to, to run, to run, um, the, 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 the trails. trails at home because we have too much snow. So that's only a, a good, um, second sport or a, alternative sport for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's all. Yeah. So are you doing any competitions in the winter months? Obviously like Francois right now is doing Pyramenta. So is Killian Journey. Are you competing in ski mountaineering races or is it mostly just for training and exercise? It's mostly for, for the training. Um, I want to do it sometimes, but now I'm focused more on trail running races. Um, that's my focus and I want to compete and I want to show my best performance on trail races. Awesome. Well, let's talk about it. But first, uh, (laughs) I want to correct myself because in a recent podcast conversation with Cam Smith, we were talking about the ski mountaineering scene in Europe. And I mistakenly said that you had sort of like a military background. um, And I received a number of messages afterwards saying, no, he doesn't. He's actually a police officer in Germany. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Before we, before we go on to, to trail running, talk a little bit about your profession outside of running as a police officer. I'd love to sort of get a bigger picture of what your day to day (laughs) looks like, what your responsibilities are. Yeah. Um, I, I, um, as an alpine skier, you have the choice to be, um, to go to the military or to the police. And I went to the police because it's a safe job. You can um, make both. You make can make um, the police graduation and be and be safe for the time after the sport. And yeah, I said, okay, I want to make this. And then after the ski career, you you can make the police job. And I said, yeah, okay. It's not far away from my hometown. It's okay. you earn a good money and it's a safe job. Yeah. And then I went, um, or I, I, I was better in trail running and yeah, but it's not Olympic. That's the problem. And so I have to make both. I have to make the police job and I, have to make my professional trail running career. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in our conversation with Francois, we talked about this at length also about it sometimes being a benefit to have the balance of a day job in addition to being a professional athlete. Do you find that you have to sacrifice training with your day job as a police officer or does it provide a balancing influence into your life? Yeah. It's the balance in my life. Yeah, for sure. Um, if I would be a full-time professional athlete, then I would maybe destroy myself because I would <laughs> train too much. And this gave give me a little bit um, work for my, f- 
for my brain. So the mental part is training a little bit more. And yeah, you think not always on the sports part. You have conversations with, with people. They don't know what is trail running. Um, in Germany, trail running is not the famous sport. It's only football and then it's nothing. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it gives me a good balance in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And and especially um the time what you have for training, that's that's only quality time. You don't go out and say, No, today is is not good. You don't you don't say this. You you go out, you are happy, you 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 wanna go run, you wanna yes. go train. And the time what you have for training, that's that's the best time because you have not uh, the full day for for training. You cannot stand up and say, "Okay, maybe one hour later." No, you have a your day plan is <laughs> yeah. is maximum full. Yeah. So especially, I have no kids like Francois, so <laughs> I have a little bit more comfort. But um, I never go out and have a a half training day. So it's always the maximum what is in my training plan. So. Yeah, yeah. And it and it's good. Yeah, it is good. And obviously it has worked for you. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our podcast, as we start to transition towards your running career now, this year was a huge breakthrough for you, man. I mean, I had never heard your name until this year. And I think a lot of people were introduced to you for the first time on the international circuit with some of your incredible performances at some of the biggest races in the world this year. Earlier in your career, you were focusing mostly on the shorter distance sort of sky running stuff. And it seemed like this year was your first foray into the ultra trails, Lavaredo, UTMB, Madeira. Did you find that maybe it was your personal strengths or your personal physiology maybe that was more suited to the longer course stuff or is there anything else that you think that led to this massive step forward that you took in your running career this year? Now I can say the 100k races are perfect for my running style. Um, I found um, that I can run the the more runnable races like Lavaredo, and then at the end, on Madeira, I uh, choose this race because it's more technical. It's only stairs up and down. It's horrible at the beginning. But um, this gave me um, safety for myself that I can compete with with good runners or with the, the, the best runners in the world on the 100K um, distance. The 100 mile distance, especially UTMB, it was a, a big experience for me. I have to learn a lot mm-hmm. for for the next uh, few years because I I wanna be be there for the next few years on UTMB. Yeah, or maybe maybe for the US US um 100 mile race. Yeah, and then, but I think it's it's my distance, and yeah, I have to learn. I have to prepare myself better and then yeah we'll see what what happened in the next few years yeah yeah well uh, we can't wait to see and i think we should talk about all three of those races this year lavaredo utmb and madeira because they're all 
worthy of conversation in their own way. You said in an interview with Iron Farr that you had been focused on Lavaredo for a long time, that you were mentally very motivated and engaged to put out your best performance at that particular race. And it had been a goal for a long time. <clears throat> Talk about the mind space you were in uh, leading into UTMB and anything that you did that maybe helped you to cultivate that mind space or cultivate that focus and determination. Yeah. Um, if I choose one race, then for example, the, the Lavarito, I prepared my mind yeah, four months before the race. I think every day on this race, and I know everything about the years before. Um, what's uh, what is the best time? Who who had the record? Um, what is the the most technical part? Where is the runnable part? Um, nutrition. I have I have always the the perfect plan for myself for every race where I where I start. And on Lavaredo, I was um, very focused because I know, I I know that um, what I have to do. I start now or since this year very very slowly. I be always yeah on position 10, 20, and then okay now after. 20 kilometers I'm, I'm warmer mm -hmm. and then okay the race can be started and that's my that's my plan and if i be always in my in my race i i don't look to the other guys because the most people they they explode after the halfway and that's not my way i know that i will be very strong at the end mm. And yeah, and then ultra running is more a mental game, and that's exactly that what I want. It's not who is the best um, athlete, who is he has the best legs. You have to be very prepared in your mind, and mm. yeah, that's something what I learned um, in the past years. Yeah, and Germans are are known for being uh, strong, strong willed, and strong mind. <laughs> Uh, people and so it's uh, not uh, yeah unusual for you to carry that as you talk about not only your mental preparation and the mental strength that it takes to perform at the highest level you also mentioned having a plan I'm curious like how granular you get with your planning as you mentioned that you had been thinking about Lavaredo for four months and you're thinking about what the strategy is how do you practically try to implement those plans? Do you write things down? You memorize splits? Are you training uh, based on intensity and, and heart rate? What are you trying to do to uh, execute against that plan? I have no splits for, for, um, for the race because it gives you um, not a good feeling if you are too late on special points, but I um, calculate myself with the heart rate. So I use um, always um, my watch to to pace me that I have my limit, my heart rate limit, mm. and I don't go over the limit. Never. Wow. Because how do you calculate example, that heart rate? Is it based on 
threshold? Is it based on VO2 yeah, max? Threshold. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, my trainer um, um, say always, what is the maximum for this race? And then that's the maximum and I don't go over. For example, UTMB, I, I wasn't in the baddest shape ever <laughs> and everybody was I feel sprinting away at the beginning and I was only the I was the only guy who was walking on a flat part because the hurt rate was too much. Really? Wow. Really, Interesting. Really. And yeah. are you wearing a are you wearing a a heart rate monitor yeah. on your chest? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And then the you're getting that information on your watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um it was too much. It was 10 beats over the limit because yeah, I don't was I, I had no good day on then i said okay walk a little bit relax breathe breathe and everybody was passing me and yeah yeah uh, well i i asked the question because again you and i don't know each other well personally but yeah. i follow you on instagram and you strike me as somebody who takes a very professional approach and when you mentioned that in your interview with iron far about thinking about it for months and being totally focused and then mentioning that you had a plan i wanted to get a little bit more uh, insight into what you meant by that and how specific you get with the training and race execution because it worked so well, clearly. You broke the course record at Lavaredo, which you know may have been surprising for you. I don't know, I'd love to get your insight. Obviously, many great athletes have raced there on the American side, some of our icons, Tim Tollison, Hayden Hawks. Anton Kropitschka have all won the race. I think Hayden Hawks had the course record. Did breaking the course record at Lavaredo, an iconic European race, change your idea of what you were capable of in the sport? Or was it surprising to you? It was surprising for me. Um, yeah, for sure. But, um, how sh yeah. I Before the race, I was sure that I have a good shape. Um, I was on the track the weeks before, so I um, did know where can I push, what, um, where's the, the lab station, the, the nutrition, um, what should I eat. I, yeah, I had the perfect plan for this race. But at the end, I had a... Uh, yeah, the the second guy, um, it was from Spain, Andreu Emmerich Simo. Um, he pushed me very hard. Yeah. But then he's a diabetic, um, type one, I think, and he had a bad moment, especially on the last ten k. And yeah, we had a really hard battle between us, and he had a bad moment, and. I, for me, the feeling was I have to sprint away. I have to sprint, and he is coming closer. He's coming closer. I pushed more and more and more and more, and that that's why I get um, the course record at yeah. the end. And he was, was under the course record too, Simon. Yeah, was. He, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you guys had um, an amazing race, and sometimes it is, it takes that competitor breathing down your neck in order to push yeah. you to your absolute limit. Yeah. And I'm sure exactly. you, you got the, the best out of him too. So, yeah. Yeah. And in Cortina, in the city, in the village, um, 
at this moment I was sure, okay, now I will win this race, but the 10 Ks before the finish line, I was, I had always the feeling he's in my neck. He will push me. <laughs> okay. Hannes push forward. You want to win. Let's go. Let's go. And I, I was more than over the limit. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've heard he's also a great rising young star in the sport. Also, I think he's a S Spaniard. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. From, uh, in the, in the, yeah, Spanish from, from Girona. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll keep Barcelona, my eye on him too. Yeah. But yeah, you guys had an incredible race and, uh, you coming out on top. I think that was the first time that your name really came onto my radar, but then it wasn't until UTMB. I remember I was actually doing the English commentary as I was sort of watching the race and I followed you on Instagram while I was like sitting there doing the, the commentary. And uh, I've been following you and very impressed by you ever since. And I actually came out of the booth and saw you running through Chamonix to the finish line because I was going out to see Courtney DeWalter who finished just a little yeah, bit Yeah, I can you. remember on, yeah, the, on was, the place where you've been. Yeah, it yeah. was very cool. And it was, and it was, it was a proud moment for me that you were cheering for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I saw you on, on my left side and whoa, that's Dylan and he's cheering for me. That's cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, cool. you were very worthy of cheering for. Let's talk about UTMV because, you know, obviously it wasn't perfect. Like it sounds like Lavaredo was, but it was your first hundred miler and I'm sure you gained a lot of learning and insights into UTMB you've already said that you want to return there many times in your career you finished sixth place um I know you know obviously like I said you don't consider it a perfect performance but what did you learn from UTMB uh what were some of the highlights from that race what are the best and worst memories and how do you hope to improve yeah, yeah the worst um memories was especially the start um the first 45ks it was not my day but i said to myself okay it's it will be a long day be relaxed do what you can and then you will at the end you will have a great day i was always um safe that i can can reach the finish line mm -hmm. but you have to fight for this and after ADK, okay, I feel better. And it, it was only the, the halfway of the race and I lost all or the most of the time to Francois at the beginning of the race because, yeah, sometimes you have bad days, sometimes you have good days. Okay, that's that's the sport. But then the, the second um, half of the race, I, I run my own race and that was very important for me because at the beginning I was very scared about this huge distance I was really scared the days before I was very nervous and yeah um, on Champelac it's only 45k to the finish line I was uh, very destroyed, but I said, okay. That's <laughs> it's a okay. hard 45Ks to the finish line. Everybody yeah, gets to Champagne-Lac and is like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, on Champagne-Lac, you count only the the uphills. Okay, yeah. so only three big uphills. Okay, <laughs> you have to think step by step. Okay, one uphill, okay, done. Then you see 
your um, your team again. You get your nutrition. Okay, yeah. so only two apples. Come on, fight. And then, yeah, then I had, uh, I was on, on this um, on this place, I was on sixth position, but then Courtney um, comes always close and close. And that was mentally really not easy yeah. because he was so fresh. He was, she was running every uphill and this moment destroyed me really. Yeah. Well, it was incredible for me. Yeah. And, and you talked about it, I think, at the finish line at UTMB. Yeah. And you have a very unique perspective on this because that was one of the best performances ever in our sport yeah. with Courtney DeWalter. And as you mentioned, she was sort of catching up to you and pushing you to the finish line. I mean, I talk about that a little bit because obviously she is world-class, one of the best to ever do it. And I, I wondered as somebody who in your position, you're doing your first hundred miler, maybe you were able to observe her skills or her strategy. Was there anything from that experience of being chased by Courtney DeWalter that maybe you, you hope to apply to your own competitive events in the future? Yeah. Um, it was it was it was it was very difficult for me um i said to myself okay now you have a really good position you're now on sixth but then if you see courtney she was running all uphills it was more than 30 degrees steep <laughs> and it was impossible for me how is this yeah how can you run after such a long um such a long distance and this moment pushed me a little bit more than mm -hmm. normally i went out of my comfort zone and i want to be with courtney yeah and i said to courtney you are so crazy and she was only <laughs> talking to me you're doing such a nice job let's go honest come on run let's run together and i said no you're too fast it's uh, <laughs> I'm done and you, you run here. No. Okay. Yeah. And oh, that's the gap amazing. Between, the gap between us um, went always bigger and bigger, but on the last uphill, uh, it, uh, it was a little bit more technical and it was a bit too much for her. And I had maybe better legs in yeah. the technical part. And then, yeah, I closed the gap and, we had a yeah a good um, ten minutes run together yeah and on the last um, descent yeah I yeah. I passed her and that was a cool moment for me and yeah yeah <laughs> so cool she was always my follower yeah and then I had the same feeling with uh, the Spanish guy Andreu in and Lavarero yeah. she was always in my neck and. But it was, it was um, cool for me. But she pushed me really hard. Yes. But her performance on this day it was incredible. But for me it was cool because I, I could see the the most of of her um, of her race uh, life, mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> not on the television. Yeah. I was. Um, you had a front row game. seat to one of the best performances ever. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for that description. I think people are <laughs> going to really love that. I mean, especially your 
uh, your illustration of Courtney's amazing personality where you tell her that she's crazy for running the uphills and she responds something like, you're doing a great job. <laughs> so shout yeah. out to Courtney DeWalter. She was just doing the Barkley Marathon here in the U.S. this week. Unfortunately, wasn't yeah. able to, to finish there, but always makes us American trail runners really proud. Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Are you guys training for your next big race? Has the 2022 season started yet? Well, Gnarly Nutrition gets it. They know where you're at because this is a team filled with mountain sport athletes just like you and I, and with a full line of NSF certified products that are natural, effective, and delicious. Gnarly knows what it takes to cross the finish line. So when you are planning your training nutrition, organizing your crew support and drop bags, or thinking about your post-run recovery, I would encourage you to reach for Gnarly Nutrition. You guys have heard me talk about the Fuel 2.0 drink mix a lot. I also love the Gnarly BCAAs. I have come to learn that branch chain amino acids are critical to muscle health and muscle recovery. And honestly, I've noticed a big difference in my recovery since I started using this drink mix on pretty much a daily basis. So check out the Gnarly BCAAs, check out the Fuel 2.0, go visit gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. Gonarly.com, FREETRAIL15. FREETRAIL is grateful to have the support of Inside Tracker. As trail runners, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood, literally and figuratively. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, the right nutrition, the right supplementation for you and your unique body. It's a really great tool to see where you're optimized and where you're not, where you can improve. And if you're a Garmin user like myself, you can connect Inside Tracker to your device to unlock real time recovery tips after completing your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. I did my Inside Tracker blood test a few days ago. It was super easy, a totally seamless experience at the testing center. I'm waiting on the results now. I'm really excited to get those back, learn from it, share the results with you all, and let you know how I'm gonna change my behavior, my training, my nutrition as a result of what we learn. You should do this too, honestly, it's really cool. It's a really important thing to just check in on yourself every once in a while. And for a limited time, you can take advantage of the special offer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Basically, take advantage of the test that I just took as well. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash free trail to take advantage of this 20% offer. There's a link in the show notes, but insidetracker.com forward slash free trail. I'm curious to get your opinion on the Lavaredo and UTMB double, because obviously you won Lavaredo, broke the course record, struggled a little bit at UTMB, still had a good performance, but struggled a little bit. Do you think that those two races are maybe too close together to perform at your best at both? Did you feel no. any residual fatigue? No? No, they are, they are no not close together. Um, I had uh, one month 
before UTMB um, a race in, in Austria. It was a 58k Grossglockner. Yeah. It's um, on the highest peak in Austria. And this was this race was the wrong decision for me because mm. of the um, Lavaredo four or five weeks um, break, then the next race, and then so the next race, so um, Grossglockner, um, and then UTMB. And it was too much. I was not fully recovered on UTMB and it was, um, yeah, the wrong decision yeah. before, but yeah, I have it's to great learn. learning, great learning, yeah, isn't it? Great learning. Yeah. yeah. So you feel exactly. that if you would have done Lavaredo recovered, not done this race in Austria, that maybe you would have yeah. shown up at UTMB a little bit more fresh. Yes, and um, three weeks before um, UTMB, I was ill for one week, and then I had not the yeah, yeah it's too the, much. the same the same performance, the same shape before like before um, Laredo. But that's yeah. the game. I have to learn for the future for the next years, and next year I will. I don't will make this yeah. mistake. So. Well, we'll talk about your schedule, your calendar <laughs> yeah. for the year near the end of the conversation. But before we get there, yeah. I obviously want to talk about Madeira, where you closed <laughs> your season with another really strong victory at one of the most important races in the world, the Madeira Island Ultra. You won by forty minutes in another really strong field a great way to end this awesome season that you had. Talk about the Madeira race. What are some of the highlights from that? Yeah, Madeira is um, a very difficult race. I, I will say you will do it only one time in your life because at the beginning, it's only uphill and downhill. Um, it's very slippery at the beginning, then only stairs and never ending stairs. Yeah. You will make seven thousand um, vertical meters in eighty k, and that's not normal. Yeah. So you need really <laughs> a good um, uh, pole technique and strong, strong um, legs. And then after this eighty k, you run a marathon through um, through the jungle. Yeah. That's Madeira, and and that that last marathon is much faster, right? Because the last whatever yeah. it is, 35 kilometers is off the top of the island down to the coast. Yeah. And it seems like it's, that's the fast terrain of the race. That's right? the fast terrain, yeah. but it's very slippery. It's, it's sometimes wet. Um, sometimes it's muddy. So yeah, you have all terrain on this, on this course and it will destroy you if you are not in good, good shape. And I, no, before the race, okay, it's very risky to be in to to have a, a good a body, very prepared, fully recovered from UTMB. But I want this um, competition with myself. I wanna show myself that I can do this too. Not only the runnable races, and I prepared myself especially for this race over mm. two months, and that was. The right decision not always doing races 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 so prepare yourself for this one chance and i was on the start line and i said okay you have it you you can do it and um 
be in your race plan do what you what you did the last races and then you will have a good day yeah and normally i start very slow but the group was not fast or the um, for me the feeling was okay i was always in my comfort zone and then i tried something new with nutrition with the carbs and yeah i had a really beautiful day on madeira yeah you mentioned in your i run far interview that you wanted to control the pace of the race from the beginning and you just alluded to the fact that typically you like to start a little bit further behind and work your way through the field. It struck me as an interesting thing for you to say. And I think maybe our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about that psychological strategy. In what ways were you trying to control the race? And can you be more specific about what that meant for you in your race strategy? Yeah. For example, the first 10K, everybody want to be in the in the leading group and i don't care about this because i don't speak with the other guys i be in my own bubble mm -hmm. and i have my headlamp and i look sometimes to my to my watch to control my heart rate and i don't care what is the other guys doing i take uh, the first gel after 30 minutes drink a lot um i uh, yeah, I try to save energy. Uh. And I don't care who is the first one. If he's in front of me four minutes, five minutes, then I don't care because I know the race will be long. Mm. And then if you are warmer, then you can push a little bit more. Then you you test your, your legs in the downhill in the downhills. And then I make um I pass one guy then the uh, to, to the to the other and it makes so much fun to to go more to the first first position and that's the best feeling ever it is if yeah. if you if you start very slow a very very aggressive um sometimes I have to say the US guy did did this style <laughs> yeah. um Sometimes it could be good, but yeah. if um, if you get passed by the second, the third, then it's not a good feeling. Yeah. And I try to to do the different. I start slow and then I move to the to the leading group or to the leader. And then after forty five k, fifty k, I would say the race can start. And then it's racing. Yeah. And then you have to push, and then you have to try to to uh, make a gap to the followers and that's my type of of racing mm -hmm. yeah man well said and great execution and i similarly feel this i race in a similar style usually sort of at least close enough in contact that I could be on the podium or win, but never at the front. And I always like am fascinated by the types of runners like Francois and Jim Walmsley who have the confidence to just be at the front the whole time. Because for me, psychologically, it would be a burden. It would be hard to be constantly worried about how close are they behind me. I would much rather be the one who's 
gaining ground and getting closer over the course of the distance exactly. of the race. Yeah. So, yeah. Very well, uh, well said and well executed. And congratulations, man. Lavaredo <laughs> win and course record, a sixth place at UTMB in your first hundred miler, and then finishing the year with another dominant 40 minute win at Madeira. It's an incredible season for you. And I want to hear about what you have coming up in 2022. But first I want to talk about, it seems like you switched coaches recently. And I think this is maybe another interesting thing to talk about. I think our listeners would love to hear your perspective or just the thought process behind aligning yourself with the right guidance and leadership in your running career. So talk about the, uh, the change in coaches, because obviously you're just coming off a great season where it seems like you were having a lot of success. What did you see that you needed to improve and, and how is your new coach going to help you with that? Um, my, it's not my decision that I had to, um, change the coaches because my coach, he had a company and he quit his job, he said, okay, um, it's too much work. Um, and I don't save money. Yeah. <laughs> and then he said the past years, it was too much stress. And I give this, um, this company to the other guys and my trainer now, he was always in the company. So ah. he make the same and has the same signature than the coach before. So it's, the same company, only the name is different, but the t the type of of um, coaching is perfect for me. It's always with training peaks. It's um, always with um, stride on on the shoe, and always oh. based on the heart rate. And this helps me so much. It's very wow. controlled, and <laughs> yeah, this made me to a better runner yeah. because the years before it was always. I went out of the door and I was only running yeah. fast, slow. I had no idea what should I do. And this gave me the, the next step to, to a better trail runner. Are you somebody who really likes to analyze data? You talked about your heart rate. You talked about training peaks. You talked about the stride monitor, which for our listeners measures power output effectively. Yeah. Um, and this is somewhere where we're probably very different because I'm somebody who doesn't like numbers. I don't like the data. I always go by feel. Talk about that, uh, wh how you think about data and how you apply it to your training because it sounds like it's something that's really important to you. We are not uh, different because we are similar. I I make only the data, the datas. And I gave this to my trainer okay. and he has to deal with the daters because I don't care about this. I have no time to, to, to check my, my uh, daters, what I did before. He has to deal with them. And then he say, okay, we have to do more intervals. We have to more um, easy runs. We have to more long runs. He decide what I have to do. And I go out and do what he what he said to me um yeah i yeah. and this helped me only uh, yeah to uh, to pace myself and for the races yeah it's very important that i have the hearth rate but yeah. at home i 
put my watch on on the computer and then he can look <laughs> all the 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 details what I what I have done and I lean back and do my stretching. I'm not the computer <laughs> nerd. Um, cool. Yeah. 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 Well, it's great. Yeah. Marrying the, yeah, the different skill sets and the different, uh, strengths and weaknesses. I'm, yeah, I'm the same way. I guess my coach is more of a numbers guy. He's more of a metrics guy and he gets to carry that burden for me. And I can just worry about how I feel and lean back and do my stretching as you described. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, let's talk about your calendar for 2022. I'd love to hear what your goals are for the season. I know you're mostly training on skis right now, but what are your goals, uh, in terms of your trail running season? Uh, in uh, exactly five and a half weeks, I will start in um, Peñagolosa Trail in Spain. It's a 100k race. Um, it's very runnable. And I decide for the next season, I will do more the runnable races to be perfect prepared for UTMB, for the main goal. But in between, I will do the Mozart 100 because it's only 30 minutes um, away from my hometown. So Mozart it will be the, the second race, and then the main goal UTMB on the yeah yes on the most competitive um, start field. Yeah, so. awesome! Well, great season, and maybe in the end thailand for the world championship yeah oh cool but, representing uh, but th germany yeah, yeah yeah represent germany but thailand is not the typical trail running area <laughs> yeah i was there for three or four times and i couldn't run there because it was too hot it's it, too hot and humid <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah impossible to run there but i want to have this challenge yeah. But it was it will be my plus for the season. So main awesome. goal you can be. Yeah. Yeah, good good calendar. I was actually looking at Mozart myself this week and unfortunately I can't make it because it's too close to western states and broken arrow where I have uh media and commentary obligations already. So I would love to get there and do that race eventually, because like I said, I trained on those trails of the Mozart hundred in Austria and it's so beautiful. It's such an incredible place. So, well, um, yeah, I'm curious, as you mentioned the world championship and representing Germany, I think it would be fun to just kind of like talk about the trail running culture and the growth of the sport in your home country. Obviously I'm somebody who follows triathlon pretty seriously and, there's so many great German champions in triathlon. I'm curious if you're seeing similar momentum building in trail running, or if you could provide any perspective on what the current state of the sport is there in your home country. Yeah. Um, trail running is growing. Um, all the people from Germany, from the North part, normally they run marathons, but, now it's it's a hype to be more in the mountains and everybody wanna wanna be in in the holidays in the mountains and wanna run and our races are fully booked all the time and the sport is growing and i have the good um position that i yeah can represent my sport in germany 
But um, if I go to Austria or to Italy, the sport is so much more famous uh. than in Germany. But um, it will come yeah. that um, the Germany uh, will be in the in the future for fa- more famous for trail running. Yeah, maybe sometimes like in in triathlon, like uh, we have the best triathlon man is Jan Frodeno. Jan Frodeno, everybody, Sebastian everybody Kingway, knows him. So. Patrick Long won the world championship a couple yeah. times. So, yeah. Well, again, hardworking, endurance-minded people in Germany. So no doubt with the growth momentum in the sport, you guys will continue to develop as a country and we should all be scared when more Hannes Nambergers start appearing on the international circuit. I wanted to finish our conversation with uh, a broad question that I think is illuminating. What's the biggest mistake you've made in your career and what did you learn from it? whether it's in trail running or going back to your skiing days? Um, in trail running, sometimes I would say if you uh, don't eat too much in trail running, it could be, it could be the, the baddest, the baddest um, mistake what you can do. You have to eat what is possible, what you get in, in your body. So don't um, don't save um, the the gels in in your pocket. But the biggest mistake in my life, no, I I didn't make too much mistakes. I had at the end, I had I'm 32 years old. I was a professional alpine skier, and now I'm I'm okay runner. I would say, and these two pro careers that's so cool um yeah i would say i made more right decisions than wrong ones and yeah that's a cool a, yeah a cool life what i had before and yeah i know that i ha- can have four or five years of this more maybe and yeah, at least, at least I hope. I mean, I'm about to turn 36. So if you're 32, that means I should be close to retiring if there's only four or five more good years left. But yeah, well, uh, you also mentioned earlier that you learned that doing that gloss knocker race between Lavaredo and UTMB was a little bit of a snake and you learned from it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's good insight. And I think also having watched a couple of your I Run Far interviews, I loved how you said that you're, you like to be a well-rounded athlete, good on the climb, good on the descent, good on the flat, not necessarily great at any one of those specific disciplines, but just solid, well-rounded athlete. And it certainly seems that that's the case. And yeah, you're just getting started in your career and have so much potential. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Hannes. It's been fun to follow you from afar. And now it's great to get to know each other and record a conversation. I'm looking forward to sharing it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope that um, my English was enough that everybody could understand me. And it was a pleasure for me to to speak with you and to uh, speak to the, to the other guys on, on the phone and on the computer or <laughs> headphones. Yeah. And yeah, if you want to follow me, you know where you can find me. And um, I hope we, can have good times in in the future 
together maybe yeah and on the start line on uh, utmb and i hope so we'll see you there yeah. <laughs> cool yeah <laughs> thanks to hannes what a fun conversation excited to see him race pena golosa in a couple of weeks before mozart 100k later in the summer as he builds towards utmb in august where i am expecting him to be a contender for the victory in chamonix no pressure, Hannes. Uh, if you don't already, go follow him on Instagram. I put a link in the show notes. Also in the show notes are links to our sponsors. If you enjoy the podcast or anything Free Trail does, it really does make a difference. It's very important to support the businesses who make our efforts possible. Speedland, please go visit runspeedland.com. Grab a pair of the SLHSV and change everything that you thought you knew about trail footwear. Gnarly Nutrition, of course, our favorites. Visit gognarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchases of fuel products, protein powders, branch chain aminos, performance greens, or any of their other awesome products. Finally, Inside Tracker. These guys are so great. They really invest in our sport and provide a great service. So please go to insidetracker.com forward slash free trail to get 20% off an Inside Tracker blood test. I just got my results and learned some really interesting things, which I'll share very soon. But please take advantage of this offer, get a test and actionable advice to improve your health and fitness. Again, links to all those things in the show notes. We've got a free trail Friday this week where we will host Dave Dombrow from Speedland and Brian Bark from Brooks Running to talk all about the process of designing and creating trail footwear. Really excited for this one. Join us on the Free Trail YouTube channel at 12 p.m. Pacific time on Friday for another fun conversation. That's it for now. Thanks everybody for listening. Love you all very much. Talk soon. Bye-bye.